Welcome to Revival from the Bible, a daily devotional podcast designed to help more people get into God's Word and get more out of the Word. I'm Ben Blakey. Today's passage is John 5. Let the controversy begin. Today in the Gospel of John, the plot thickens as we see a new level of intensity to the controversy between Jesus and the religious leaders of the day. And when you think through something like the deity of Christ, uh, the Gospel of John is one of the first places your mind should Go And you might go to John 1 and think of what we looked at there. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Um, But one of the passages, as I had the privilege of preaching through the Gospel of John a few years ago, was uh, noticing John 5 and seeing how strong the arguments Jesus makes from John 5 are, and how they should impact not just our theology in the affirmation of the truth of the deity of Christ, but really how it should affect the way that we view Christ and therefore live our lives. Let's dig into John 5. It begins with a miracle. And this miracle happens at a a place we call the Pool of Bethesda. And he heals this man who has been lame and invalid for 38 years. Now, 38 years is a long time. 38 years is a big deal. This man has been suffering. But we notice some things here. One, it seems that there is some superstition. If you look, if you have the ESV, verse 4 is missing. And that's because when you look at all the manuscripts, it seems it wasn't in the original. It was probably added as a comment, as a note at some point. Um, But then kind of got brought in, you know, it's some note that kind of ended up making its way into the text when it's, it's better meant as a footnote. But you see, there was some superstition about this pool of Bethesda and this idea of, oh, if you get into the water first, when the waters are stirred, you will be healed. And this man had no doubt suffered. 38 years is a very long time. But the response that we see from this man, it seems that uh, he has perhaps allowed his suffering to grow help him grow bitter. And perhaps based on what Jesus says, his suffering is the result of his own sin. And he doesn't seem to really cooperate and, and it seems pretty eager to um, reveal Jesus to the religious leaders. But anyways, Jesus heals this man and shows again his power. Um, but the problem is that this happened on the Sabbath. And that's where the controversy is going to come from. Uh, one thing, though, that Jesus says that we should note before we get into the controversy is he, he sees the man in the temple and says, see, you are well, sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. Now, that's a good reminder that um, sin is not always the direct cause of our suffering. We, we can't look at ways that we suffer and say, oh, I'm always, there's a straight line from my suffering to some sin that I committed. However, we should be reminded that sometimes that is the case. Uh, sometimes our suffering is a result of our sin. And I think Jesus saying that, um, 
should lead us to believe this guy's suffering may have been the result of some kind of sin. And Jesus is warning him, don't sin. And that's where we need to see warning ourselves, warning others not to sin is a good thing. Just like I warn my children, don't go play in the street. Don't run out into the street without looking because if you do something bad might happen. And that's what we need to feel about sin. Well, don't, don't give in to sin because that could destroy your life. So we, we see there a little warning about sin that maybe you need to hear today. There's some temptation that you might be playing around with in your mind. That temptation, if you give into it, could lead to all kinds of destruction and suffering in your life. Yeah, God's, God's law is good. It is meant to protect us. So be reminded of that. But then the controversy comes in really around what Jesus says in verse 17, when he responds to their persecution, because they're upset that he's doing these things on the Sabbath by saying, my father is working until now, and I am working. Look at how they respond to that statement of Jesus calling God his father and saying, my father is working and I am working. It says that this is why they were seeking all the more to kill him. And it goes on to explain because they understood by calling God his father, he was making himself equal with God. Now, notice what Jesus will do now in response. They're saying, we want to kill you because we are understanding what you are saying to mean that you are equal with God. Jesus does not back down. In fact, he doubles down. Look at what he goes on to say. Truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, the son does likewise. The son does whatever the father does. He's doubling down. And look at some of the things that he says. For the father loves the son and shows him all these, all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. The father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father. You want to kill me because I'm claiming equality with God? Well, check this out. Everybody's going to honor the son, me, just like they honor the father. He's doubling down on what he is saying. Whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent me. Uh, What an amazing thing he says here. And then he goes on to say, truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. And then he goes on to talk about how uh, the dead are going to hear the voice of the son of God and those who hear will live and goes on to say, just like the father has life in himself. Uh, We talked about this in chapter one. God is the great I am. He is self-existent just like he has life in himself. He has granted the son also to have life in himself and that God has given the son this ability to judge others. And so there we see Jesus not backing down, but doubling down. And that that should affirm our theology. If you want to know, does, does Jesus claim to be God or not? Look at this. He is claiming equality with God. 
but that should have a very practical effect in our heart as well. And I like to put it this way, and more and more people need to hear this and need to think about this. You don't get to judge Jesus. You don't get to evaluate, well, what do I think about Jesus? Do I like him or not? Do I like this teaching or don't I like this teaching? No, no, no. Jesus is going to judge you. What you think about Jesus in the grand scheme of things doesn't mean much. What what means much is what Jesus thinks about you because he will be the judge. So what's important about what you think about Jesus is, will it please the judge? What you need to think about Jesus is you need to believe him who sent him and, and hear his word so that you will not come into judgment, but pass from death to life. You need to embrace the words of Christ from a spirit of humility, knowing he is the judge over me. So this is an astounding claim that Jesus makes in John 5. And I don't know if it was just me, uh, but this was one of the passages that as you go through the gospel of John, there's, there's so many famous passages. And even you get to the I am statements and, and all of these other things. I think before going through the gospel of John, chapter five was kind of flying under the radar for me. But then getting into this, you see, wow, this is amazing stuff that Jesus is saying and stuff that we need to hear and respond to. And then towards the end of the chapter, it it seems as if we step into the courtroom because Jesus makes these, um, to his audience, audacious claims uh, of equality with God. And he doesn't back down. He doubles down, but then he backs them up by saying, hey, I'm going to summon some witnesses. And we start that really in verse 30. He calls his witnesses. He calls John the Baptist to the stand. He calls his works, his miracles to the stand. He refers to his father and think of the baptism uh, where the voice of the father affirms the son. And and then another witness he calls is the scriptures. And and he is saying this as a rebuke to people that should have been the experts. Verse 29, you search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life. And it is they that bear witness about me, yet you refuse to come to me that you may have life. So he's saying, you search the scriptures, but you should know the scriptures point to me. But your problem is you won't submit to me. You Pharisees, religious leaders, you want to act like you're the authority. No, no, that's not how it works. I'm the authority. And that's part of becoming a Christian is admitting that you're not the authority, but Jesus is. And then one last thing we see towards the end of this chapter, another problem that they have is they're seeking the wrong kind of glory. Verse 44, how can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? And that's what keeps people today from believing in Christ because they want to be the authority. They want to be patted on the back by other people in this world. Um, That's what it's all about. Instead of saying, no, Jesus is the authority. What he thinks about me is the only thing that matters. So today, what are you going to do? What do you believe about Jesus? Do you believe that he is equal with God? Do you believe his claims? But then the bigger question is, what are you going to live for today? 
Are you going to live for the glory of men or are you going to live for the glory that comes from God, knowing that he is the judge and his opinion is the only one that matters? So I hope you see great theological truth in this, I would say, underrated chapter, but very applicable, very um, consequential to our lives. Who is the authority today? Are you the authority? Is the opinion of others the authority? Or are you saying Jesus is the judge? What he thinks is the only thing that matters. And let that thought be really a compass for your life today to point you in whatever situation you may find yourself. Your question, your concern needs to be, what would honor Jesus? And that's how we should live today. Thanks for digging into God's Word with me today on Revival from the Bible. For more resources, check out RevivalFromTheBible.com. To learn more about Compass Bible Church Treasure Valley, go to CompassBible.tv. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you.